0: It's not really a live show yet. I mean, it's live. It's a bit of a show, more of a pre show. We're just sort of fooling around, I guess, is what we're doing. We're not even really doing anything yet. Can I tell you something really quick before we start the show? I am quickly falling out of love with my Apple Watch. The expectation of achieving these monthly rewards, these uh, uh, badges that you are awarded, it, it gets to be a lot. So much so that you're, you're thinking about it when you should be thinking about other things. It gets to be a bit. A bit frustrating. It adds on extra unnecessary anxiety. And the only reason to even have it is to track your fitness goals, and to make sure that you're doing what you, presumably, wanted to do in the first place. But what it does instead, is kind of pushes you, and tries to ramp up everything. And it's a lot, man. <laughs> it is a lot to take in, sweet fucking hell. Um, Dean, how you doing, man? Zachary, what's up? It's gonna be a good show. Valeria, how are you, my dear? Good to see you. Uh, what's up, dog? How you doing? Lexi, how are ya? William, always great to see you. Where's my man? We're only a short way away from man camp at the Overlook. <laughs> I can't wait. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be so much fun. Uh, holy shit. Pre-show. It should just be bullshitting because I'm sitting here anyway. Not really pre-show. Because you hear pre-show and you think like, there's got to be like a, you know, like a, I don't know. A show, you know what I mean? There's no show. (laughs) Hey, What's up, Farith? Farith? Okay. So yeah, Apple Watch, it's... uh, The bloom has left the rose. It's okay. It keeps me on track, but it can be a bit much. Um, The other thing, I guess, would be like a pre-show thing, not like a show-show thing. I am, yeah, this is right. Bullshit is pre-show. This is just bullshit. Uh, I am a a fervent believer in taking time to just appreciate things. And what that means to me generally is on a hike or in my backyard or watching an animal documentary or something where I just sort of stop for a minute and just really take in what it is that I'm experiencing. You know, whether it's the, the, the feeling of grass between your toes and the slight breeze crossing your face, or the sun beating down on you and uh, the leaves rustling against your shoulders as you're walking through the mountains, um, or whether you're just witnessing a scene on the screen in your home that you would never have witnessed otherwise, that is so beautiful. That it brings you to tears. I experienced that a number of times this weekend. But today. I, I have, uh, and They're not really secret. But I have these passions of watching. This old house. And ask this old house. Which is actually two different shows. Um, and nature shows. I'm a, a complete fanatic. Anything David Attenborough does. I, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm sold. He just did uh, released. He narrated. He didn't. Produce it, I don't think. Uh, he just released uh, a new show on a new film, I guess, documentary, whatever, on Apple TV that is all about how life was during the pandemic. When everyone was locked inside their homes and fear and safety, what was the animal world like? What were the environmental impacts of us doing that? And it was beautiful, as expected. And so much more moving than I, I would have thought it should have been. Even for someone who watches these types of shows regularly. Like, it was, it was really impactful. Um, I think I'll probably be talking about it next week, so I'm not going to go into it very much. But there are some scenes in that show that are just so wildly beautiful. I can't believe that they're real. It's crazy. It's crazy that we can live in a planet our entire lives consume video thousands upon thousands of hours from all around the globe and still find one still frame of our planet mysterious, exciting, and full of wonder. And we cannot discount the artists behind the lens of these frames, because they are truly the ones that not only were in the right spot in the right time, but knew how to use their artistry properly to capture those frames for us so that we can then truly appreciate them. And sweet fucking hell did they do that to the nth degree in this documentary. Oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. The planet Earth is filmed on an alien planet. (laughs) We're the aliens, man, we're the virus, we're the... Uh, what, what I loved about it is that it, it just confirmed what we all know all along is the earth doesn't need us. No one needs us as a species. In fact, we do more harm than good on this planet, not only to the planet itself for our own safety nonetheless, but to the other animals that share this planet with us as well, and plans included. It's wild to think that if we just disappeared, We would ne'er be even considered an afterthought to anything. We would just be a black blip in all of history, and life would go on and actually flourish in our absence. There's something poetically beautiful about that idea. Something truly terrifying as well as a human being, but... I just think that means that we need to truly appreciate not only what we have and where we are, but act as stewards for the better interest of ourselves, for our own future. I don't know. That's how I see it anyway. But um, it also means that we need to focus on the joys. As a Satanist, we should all understand this anyway. We should focus on the, th- those things that bring us joy, that bring us meaning, that bring us excitement and a sense of life, you know? And watching those PBS specials do it for me. <laughs> I'm really stoked at what Apple TV is doing. They're, they're putting out some really kind of like weird stuff, um, but their nature game is on point, like 100%. You thought the BBC had it. You thought um, uh, PBS was great. If you didn't, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> but Apple TV has taken some of the best people of them and they're putting out some really great content. They've got some... Like, this is going to turn into a fucking Apple TV commercial. I don't even pay for it. It's free. Like, they just give it to to people with Apple products because they don't feel like they deserve to be charged for it yet. Understandably, I think. But, um... Hey, Heathen. Thanks for joining, man. Um... They have, like, this... this uh uh, the earth at night or something like that and in color whereas just talking about nighttime animal life uh and there's like tiny animals show that's all about how these seemingly insignificant creatures live out their lives and how dangerous it is for them and it, it's really cool um good stuff though man i i really dig that kind of stuff uh and uh, here's the other thing. Like, f- for those of you who may poo-poo the, this old house show, total environments, people. <laughs> like, it, it, it gives you a literal guide to how to craft your total environment and how to appreciate the craft of carpentry and plumbing and electricians and, like, of tradesmen and women. Like, it, it shows you what it takes and the tools of the trade so that you can truly appreciate those, um, uh, those types of professions, which are invaluable and in dire need right now in our, our uh, society. It's pretty wild. It's pretty crazy. Uh, but yeah, anything to learn how to improve your total environment, I think is a plus, whether that's a cooking show or a gardening show or a home improvement show or whatever, appreciate where you are and what you got. Um, it's a calibration point. Yeah, that's nice. That's a good way of, uh, of putting it i like that a lot ontario you're curious how the whole thing is over word was there's a bunch of Canadians signaling for help at the border what i don't know anything about that someone uh informed me on that uh we need to stop expecting our lives especially in expecting our lives especially in cities to be so animal free oh right I, i i'm i feel I might, dog, I might lean on you for this one um, for a, a future show, but I want to do a show about um, the importance of living with other species, both plants and animals in a total environment setting and the genuine joys that can be found in sharing your total environment and how it actually is enriched by plant and uh, other animals than human um, coexisting and and working together in the same environment. There's something there that I haven't quite quite formulated as a a, a cohesive statement yet, but I've been brooding on it for months and I've been trying to sort of, I don't know, hone it down into a, a diamond, like crush the idea down into a perfect diamond. I haven't been able to do it myself, so I might have to lean on someone else to help. And I know you're really great with that stuff. Uh, we totally are the aliens. A bunch of species have been forced into a semi nocturnal lifestyle just to avoid humans. <laughs> nice. Uh, of course we are. We're the alien elite. <laughs> nice. What's up, dandelion bodies? Thanks for joining. Uh, hey, Kyle. All right. Um, you know what? I think, what time is it? Oh, shit. I'm two minutes late. Let's start the show. We Are Satanists by Blanche Barton is available for pre-order right now from satanme.com. Pre-order this. This is not only the updated version of Blanche Barton's original Church of Satan book, which is out of print and unavailable, but it's packed full of new information about what other Satanists are doing out there. I think you'll find it very interesting pre-order it. It should be out on or around Valpurgisnacht, which is only weeks away. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. And I'm your host, Reverend Campbell. It is great to have you. Thank you so much for joining live. It is April 18th, and I got a fantastic show for you this week. That's right, In The Devil's Advocate, we're going to talk about uh, you needn't get your feelings hurt. And how that's a good thing. <laughs> the Infernal Informant, we're going to talk about a mother murdering her three children, why she claims to have done it, We'll get into that. (laughs) And then uh, also the bioethics of the first human monkey hybrid embryo. It's a thing, people. It's a thing. But it's not the first. And it certainly won't be the last. So Let's talk about that. And then in the creature feature, (sighs) I love this. Bubba (laughs) Hotep. I put it off for a little while, but I got to talk about it. I love me some Bubba Hotep. So look forward to that at the tail end of the show. Before we start here, of course, there was a bit of a pre-show there. Um, I want to talk about my past week because my past week has been filled with anxiety. Anxiety to the thousandth degree for what I'm traditionally used to dealing with. The, <laughs> this sounds really stupid. And I understand. I, out, of, out of context, it makes me sound like a bitch. Okay, maybe I'm a bitch. But I was filled with anxiety over making my wife's birthday cake and birthday dinner. I wanted it to be perfect. And I was so worried that I was gonna fuck up a step or I was gonna do something wrong because the cake is kind of an elaborate one um, that she wanted me to make. And she would already made it twice. And so I know she knows if it's right or wrong. And I wanted to make sure that she got what she deserves, which is exactly what she asked for. And so it was just so much anxiety working up to it. I had to go shopping, made sure I have all the ingredients right. I was like double checking, you know, measurements as I was putting the different components together. I started on a Monday. I finished it on a Tuesday because you have to let the moose chill. Um, And then I put it all together and we uh, put it in the fridge so it can rest as one whole unit before her birthday, which was this past Wednesday. She's finally 18. Woohoo! um and then her birthday dinner which you know for me is just not a big deal i mean she wanted she wanted steak and mashed potatoes and so i barbecued up some steaks some like nice two inch thick beasts and uh they were awesome and made did the mashed potatoes but i did it with like the small potatoes and kept the skins on and i didn't crush it up so it's completely creamy so there's tiny little chunks of potato but you know and a little bit of skin in there so you get all those vitamins and stuff it was really really good seasoned perfectly um and then we had some like green beans and stuff (laughs) nothing exciting about them i think they're organic or something i don't know but all in all i think it was a great birthday um dinner for her and uh i don't know Birthdays at my house are not like tons of balloons and especially right now not tons of people. Like usually we'll have some friends over or something, but you know with the things way things are, we we just kept it intimate as a family. Um for safety's sake, I suppose. But that was so stressful just thinking about it for weeks knowing that it was coming up and then the days before like okay, I've got to go through these steps, I got to do everything. And then at the same time that that was going on, We had already been scheduled for our first Moderna vaccination shot, uh, and that was the next day. And so it really felt like one of those World War Z moments where we went into this large arena parking lot... Everyone was in their cars and we were in this huge long line. We went under these like big tents with these people with all their masks and containment gear and, and iPads and, you know, checking all your information and making sure everything's medically sound. And then you move on to the next uh, covered bunker area where people come out all completely covered and contaminant proof and give you your shots. And then you move on to an observation area all within your contained car. No one gets out. No one does any actual interaction with any real human being on any real level. And you're just like, fuck, what is going to happen? Am I going to like turn into a zombie at this point? Like what? why am I contained? And we're more contained than other people having to stay longer because of uh, uh, medical allergies that my son had. And it was a whole thing. It felt very end-of-the-world, like every type of of end-of-the-world scenario you ever see. That's what it was like. And we're fine. (laughs) Everything's fine. You know, everyone had sore arms, and uh, I had had a bit of uh, fever and chills for like two and a half hours, three hours that night. We're good. (laughs) We had to wait like a month before we get our next shot. Whatever. I was so worried. So much anxiety going through the process for nothing. It was crazy. Until, I guess, until if you're one of those people, um, they activate the vaccine in your system, the government, and then you die. <laughs> people are crazy. Uh, you got yours because Kroger had two no-shows and the doses were going to go lost. Hell yeah! That's awesome. We had to sign up and wait for like a week and a half. So that's great that you could just slide in and grab it when, you, when it was convenient. Um, and then, uh, this last Sunday, I recorded the Shining podcast with a bunch of friends. Had a blast, lots of shit talking, lots of insulting, which I love to do with my friends, and uh, recorded it and shot it out. For those of you who are members of the Ninth Circle of this YouTube channel, which is just a membership level, you can check out that. And you can check out the last one as well. It was, um, Uh, This one was the Shining board game. The last one was um, Universal Monsters board game, which was awesome. It's a great board game. So if you're into it, check them out. They're a lot of fun. And my work is picking up again. Finally, we're finally getting people wanting to spend money. They know that the world is going back to normal. So they're willing to start advertising and and get stuff out there. And I had a lot of creative projects that I, I, I don't know, I felt a little rusty around to be honest. And again, that's another point of anxiety for me. Um, I want to give my best for any of my clients. And sometimes what seems like it would be really simple turns out to be really challenging. And I have to walk through all of my steps, the entire creative process in order to end up with something that I'm remotely happy about. And I got there, but it took me longer than I expected. And it took me all week to be honest. And that knowing that I had to present on Friday, creative that was not complete was very very frustrating um, again you never you're never at the top of your game if you care about the game because you'll always feel like you're not doing a good enough job or you could always do a little bit better or you know the process you, you, for any creative types you may understand this <clears throat> um, there's a fear of not being able to do what you do anymore and for me, that's my profession. So if I can't do that, I'm, what, do I, what do I have to fall back on? You know. And so I have this anxiety that if I'm just not good enough, then people won't want my work anymore, and then I won't be able to pay the bills and you know do everything that I like to do in life um, because I have the money to do it. And that's a concern. I got a kids. I got a family, and there's always that beast on your back, just like saying, you know, you're not good enough. You're not gonna pull this one off. You're just gonna fail. And being able to suffer through that and come out on the other end fine and better, <laughs> knowing that, oh yeah, I still got it. It feels really nice, but that anxiety, man, oh, You know, some people have writer's block or creative blocks. That's what it feels like, you know? And you just have to break everything down and go back to the basics and just start at the fundamental thumbnail sketch level of just, I've got to do the work. I got to do the steps of the creative process, or else I'm just not going to end up where I need to. And that's with some work that the client loves. Um, all right. Let's see. You got to put your arm in the microwave to activate the shot. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, all right. That's enough banter. Let's get in the show. Let's do a little devil's advocate. <laughs> I got a cute little image here for you. (laughs) I'm going to throw up. It's from a medium article that I looked at um, for a bit of reference for this section here. Ain't it cute? All right. Let's talk about this. For some of you, this is going to be challenging. um, But I want you to know that no one cares. (laughs) So just suck it up. All right. You need to get your feelings hurt in life. I don't know where we got to a point I don't know how we got to the point where everyone expected everyone else to accept, understand, and champion their feelings. But it's all a lie. Our entire current culture is based around this premise, and it's all a lie. No one owes you anything in life, and certainly not understanding or caring about or championing your stupid ass fucking feelings. And here's the truth behind all of that. If you don't ever get your feelings hurt, how are you going to learn to live in the real world? It's impossible. You may have this cute little social media bubble where everyone accepts you and puts their digital arms around you and clicks that like button and make sure that you feel of value and your truth is understood. But outside of your cute little fucking fake ass bubble, no one cares that you live or die. No one cares about your feelings and they shouldn't. Every time we go through pain, we learn something. The lesson may be big or small and it carries meaning for us. When someone abuses you or talks down to you or hurts your widow feelings, you'll learn how it feels to be at the receiving end of such treatment. And you can actually use that to decide whether or not to treat other people that way or how to avoid those situations in the first place. And not all hurts are life impacting and huge. It's not all sexual or physical abuse or emotional abuse, but those hurts you can learn from as well. They're not just things that you have to suffer through, like some sort of sick martyr. You can actually learn from them. The small hurts are just as important when someone laughs at something that you've created that you put so much time and energy behind. When someone smirks at your deep, introspective thoughts that you dared to share in a public arena when someone laughs at your fucking hairstyle or doesn't laugh at your stupid joke when someone makes fun of your uh, ridiculous over uh, uh, out-of-date joke or comment or clothing or loved music or Racial identity or sexual identity or gender identity When they don't stand up behind you and champion you or when they want to take away your guns or when they don't want to take away your guns No one gives a fuck about your feelings and they shouldn't it should only matter to one person You Boop. I didn't actually want to touch my camera Your feelings are a gateway to allow you to succeed in life or to fail in life. But until you've been burned, until you've been hurt, you never know the actual limits of your ability to cope with the other animals on this planet. And living in a world where everyone just pats you on your back and shakes your hand and puts you on a pedestal or a soapbox, you never actually learn from those championings. You have to fall on your face. You have to fail. You have to get laughed at. You have to get smacked in order to understand limits. And that sounds harsh and it sounds mean, but that's life. Life is harsh. Life is mean. Life is uncaring. I just spoke in the pre-show about how the human animal would, uh, the earth would be better if the human animal did not exist on it. In every measure. Does that feel good to know that your absence is better for all life on the planet that you live on? It shouldn't feel good. It should actually bother you a little bit as a human. But it's still a fucking truth that you have to fucking deal with. There are certain ideas that hurt in life that you have to understand and get through. You may not accept them. You may not agree with them. You may not champion them. But the fact is that they're out there and they exist and you're ignoring them does not make them go away. You trying to bury someone else because they don't share your feelings does not make the problems go away. Experiencing pain and loss, experiencing hurt feelings, gives you an idea of how not to treat others because you know how it would feel. This knowledge subtly shapes your personality. You are not a result of your experiences. You're a result of how you managed your experiences. You're a result of how you decided to consciously deal with the experiences life put in front of you. So yeah, you might've been sexually abused as a child or physically abused as an adult or emotionally abused, hell, as a spouse or something. How you decide to use those horrible experiences is going to define who you are. Are you just gonna succumb to them and just become a victim? Are you gonna process what had happened and try to move beyond them, do the hard work it takes? You may never get over it, but working through it, that's a lot. That says something about who you are. That means you are truly strong, unworthy of what you went through, but able to move past it. Maybe someday. Empathy helps people form strong bonds with others. You can be sympathetic, but that's just plastic. That's fake. That's that's a surface feeling. Oh, I'm sorry that you fell off your bike, honey. I've never fallen off myself, but, you know, maybe weaker people fall off their bikes. It must suck being such a loser. It's not real. Sympathy isn't a real emotion. That's That's you just pretending. Empathy means you truly understand, because you've been there. You understand pain. It means you can connect on a more human level than anyone else could ever dream of doing so. And not everyone wants to, and that's okay. But for those who do, it gives you a foothold up. People who are empathetic manage to have great relationships as others feel they understand in in the presence. It's noteworthy that empathetic people are also the ones who have suffered long enough to be able to understand another's pain. There are several people who have been victims of childhood abuse and have grown into being rescuers for others in adulthood. They took the pain that they suffered, the torment that they went through, and they turned it into being a positive role model for someone else, being a a rescuer for someone else. Not really my thing, but for those who do it, that's great. I think those types of people are really important. Uh, they tie up with NGOs, they adopt children, or they do some kind of volunteer work to prevent others from going through the same experiences. They know how shitty it was because of the pain they suffered, and instead of just feeling bad for themselves or allowing it to be the, the, the point of uh, uh, differentiation for their entire lives, they decide to use it as a catalyst, a jumping-off point so that they can find their own catharsis in helping others through the same pain that they went through. Hurt and pain are great motivators. They teach us what to move towards and what to move away from. Without this knowledge, it would be difficult for us to make decisions that are favorable to us. Psychologically, as human animals, we tend to repeat behaviors that we witnessed in our childhood. But that is a cycle that you can break. You may have been in a cycle of abuse and are prone, are primed to repeat that cycle. But that's only if you're a passive monkey. That's not what we are. We're human animals. We're better than that. We can step out of that cycle. We can break it if we want to. But again, it's a personal decision that you have to make and it's not always easy. Research indicates that events by themselves don't have any impact on people. The perception of the event makes them feel the way they do. So you may suffer abuse, but that does not decide who you are. It's how you perceive to deal with that abuse that defines who you are. You are not the result of the things that have happened to you. You are the result of how you processed those events and managed them. Don't be a victim because someone else has a different opinion or someone else decided to lash out for whatever reason. Own the situation. Understand that it probably wasn't your fault and that it's not about you most of the time. That's something that a lot of people have to really get their heads around because it doesn't make sense. I'm the one being hurt, how is it not about me? The person doing the hurting, they're probably repeating a cycle that they went through themselves and they're not strong enough or not aware enough to get out of. Or maybe they're just the terrible people that just exhibit, that just exist on this planet. Sometimes people are just worthless. They don't deserve, there's no sanctity of life. That means sometimes you just get bad seeds out there. Sometimes you're attracted to those bad seeds. Sometimes those bad seeds are really, really great at pulling you in and just hurting you over and over and over again. Making you their toy of pain. It's not about you. It's about them. You can choose To break out of that cycle. And it's not easy. It's easy to say it. But it's not easy to do it. But you can. You are not entitled. To have others. Accept or understand your perceptions. It's nice when they do. On their own terms. But you're not entitled. You just happen to have been born, happen to have existed long enough to perceive others' engagements and interactions with you, and happen to have the sensitivities to be hurt when they don't see things the way you do. We are in a poisonous culture, fed, nurtured by social media, that is just killing our species from the inside out. And we're just jumping in the pool in the deep end, thinking it's so much fun and how exciting it is. All the while, it is literally killing us. If you are a heteronormative person, you do not, you're not owed anything simply because you just happen to be the most common form of life uh, (laughs) of human existence if you are homosexual. You're not special. You're not entitled to others accepting you in the same way that heteronormative people are not entitled to have people accept them as being heteronormative. It hurts worse because you're a minority and you get dumped on more, which sucks, but you're not entitled to anything. No one is entitled to equality or happiness. Some governments, some societies encourage the pursuit of happiness. They put down laws and regulations in order to provide as close to an even playing field as a society can. But it's not complete. And there will always be someone out there who thinks you're a piece of shit because you like a certain fandom or you wear your hair a certain way or you got a stupid fucking tattoo or whatever it is for whatever reason maybe it's who you love maybe it's how you identify there will always be someone out there or groups of people or masses of people or entire cultures of people who want you dead do you just fall down because of that do you do you, do you, do you feel worthless as a human being no that's just them you are the most powerful part of your own life and how you decide to process others' hate is the most important part of who you are. Not how you feel, how you process. Um, American culture is moving exponentially into a more progressive era. Personally, I'm in favor of that. There will forever be those who are not. The downsides to that is that that society can tend to become homogenized. It can tend to uh, demonize those who do not keep up with that progressive view. And that could be the death of a progressive movement. It's okay. It's okay that others do not agree with you. It's okay that others make fun of you because it's not about you. And as soon as you process that, you can finally start managing and processing the experience and coming out on top of it, becoming better for it. Use bigotry and ignorance pointed at you use violence pointed at you to your benefit that's lesser magic it's understanding the realities of the society you live in the realities of the reactions to you not propping up your truth and expecting everyone to accept you and accept it no It's putting your truth out there and understanding that others are going to actively take a shit on it. And you're just going to wipe it off, sanitize it, and put it right back out there. Because it wasn't about you. It wasn't ever about you. We're only important to ourselves. No one else cares. When someone rails against you or makes fun of you or hurts your feelings, it's because they're trying to say something about themselves. They're grasping out there at something. And sometimes it's a silent call for help that they don't even realize they're making. How you engage with it is the most important part or how you don't engage with it and how you just keep doing your thing. But stop, for fuck's sakes, expecting others to accept you because they don't care about you and they shouldn't. As a Satanist, you should understand that at least. All right, everyone's just people. <laughs> here, here. You struggled with uh, your own self-worth for years and most importantly, things you had to learn was how to move past how family and friends perceive your value. It's a hugely important idea and a very, very difficult one to get past but you're not the sum total of what others say about you or feel about you. You're the sum total of what you create within yourself and of yourself. And only you can do that. It, it's, it's such an empowering idea that it doesn't matter what other people think. That's a great fucking idea. Just latch onto that. I don't want people to accept me because I don't care what they think. The only thing important to me is how I feel, how I engage with my life, and how that engagement makes me, again, feedback loop, feel about myself. And for those around me that I've chosen to love, their opinions matter. But everyone outside of that, who gives a fuck? Honestly, who cares? Why do I care if they like me or not or agree with me or not? It doesn't matter. Uh, This is right. Three Fs. If they aren't funding, feeding, or fucking you, who cares? (laughs) I guess I could have just done that as a segment. (laughs) It would have been shorter. Uh, Probably better. All right. (laughs) Let's move on to uh, the Infernal Informant. A bit of a tough one, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I was a little uh, shook by this when I first read it. Mother says she killed her three children to protect them from abuse. This is from NBC News. A woman suspected of killing her three children in Los Angeles said she did it to protect them from abuse. On Thursday, Liliana Carrillo granted a jailhouse interview to NBC affiliate KGET in Bakersville, California, where she is being held after she was arrested on suspicion of carjacking the day her children's bodies were discovered by their grandmother. The children, Joanna, three, Terry, two, and Sierra, six months, were found the morning of April 10th in an apartment in the Reseda section of Los Angeles. Carrillo fled and was captured later the day after carjacking a motorist in Kern County, authorities said. Asked what happened to the children, she told KGET, I drowned them. I wasn't about to hand my children off to be further abused, she said. Police initially said the children were stabbed, and the Los Angeles County Coroner has not said whether drowning was involved. Carrillo pleaded not guilty Wednesday to the carjacking, attempted carjacking, and taking a vehicle with the owner's consent, said her public defender Lexi Blythe by email. Carrillo is being held on $2 million bail, along with an additional bail restriction, according to Kern County Sheriff's office records. The Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office is not charged during the deaths of her children, and a uh, spokesman did not immediately respond Saturday to a request for information. Carrillo's claim that her children were being abused counters their father's narrative, outlined in custody records filed by Eric Denton on March 1st in Tulare County. The request for custody claimed Carrillo was delusional, and refused to tell him where she was keeping the children. Denton tried to get the L.A. County Department of Children and Family Services and the LAPD to intervene, but because he believed Carrillo suffered from psychosis and was keeping their children away from him somewhere in Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Times reported. Denton asked police to take her in for a psychiatric evaluation, the Times reported, and the LAPD has launched an internal investigation into how it handled Denton's request for help. Children and Family Services tried to contact Carrillo, Times reported, citing records that a social worker tried to visit her, but no one answered the door. Denton has been scheduled to visit the children the day after they were found dead, court records show. Quote, I didn't want to see them further abused, Krillo told KGET. She said she killed the three softly. I hugged them and kissed them, she said, and I was apologizing the whole time. I promised I would protect them. The love of a mother. Uh, okay. So, the fact that there is a, a preemptive situation where her mental state was in question is probably the most important aspect of this, because traditionally women are believed over men in a family situation. Um, that's just the way courts usually go, as general overview. Um, uh... Uh-huh. In this particular case, I do not believe she did that for that reason. I think she was mentally disturbed and she just killed her fucking kids because she's a fucking crazy person. They exist, they are out there, and it does happen, as horrible as it is. Um, Imagine the father. Knowing that the courts will not give him his children and how in danger his children actually are. The mother claims that she was killing them so they didn't have to live a life of abuse. And the father just had to sit back because his hands were literally tied by the state, unable to rescue his fucking children from their murderous, psychotic mother. The madness of that situation is incredibly interesting to me <laughs> I, I mean it genuinely is I, I don't want to lighten you know I don't want to play some you know sort of joke about it, it our, our culture often draws lines between her argument and his argument and no matter where you come down on it let's even pretend let, let, let's let's put down the idea that she was crazy and let's just say maybe he was gaslighting her. And he did want the children for nefarious means. Okay, is it still okay for her to fucking murder them? Whether it was stabbing, as the police report said, or her drowning them, as she claims. Was that the right out for the situation? I don't believe in a sanctity of life, but we should probably do our best not to murder our children for any reason at all if she actually cared about the children if that was literally the reasoning for it was that the only way to do it couldn't she i don't know reach out to the government that was already protecting her and the children she had custody hence they were safe if she truly feared for their safety reach out the police they would have quickly threw up a court order and banned the father pending investigation. As shitty as it is, because in this particular case, I do think she was fucking crazy. That's how things work. No one trusts the guys. We're always the bad guys, and we've earned it. Let's be fair. We have earned it. (laughs) that judgment. (laughs) Men for all of history have, if nothing, done horrible things to women. So I get it. I don't like it, but I get it. Um, I I don't I don't live in a world in any situation that I can conceive of where ending my children's life would be the preferred outcome ever, because even in the worst case scenario. If if they were taken from me and um, abused, for example, at least there's a chance of me to get people to help and stop it. At least there's a chance that they can have a future to process the pain that life handed them. But to take that away, it just tells me that not everyone should be able to procreate. Not everyone should have the right. To recreate life. And I understand the gravity of that statement. And all that's wrapped up in it. I don't think that everyone should have the right to take someone else's life. In the same way that I don't think everyone has the right to deliver life. Because human beings are fragile, distraught creatures. We can't even take care of ourselves as a species, let alone in some cases, our own offspring. And some of us are just bad. Not not on like a moral scale, but on like an evolutionary scale. Some of us don't deserve to exist, but we live in a society that encourages our existence, that actually helps us continue to hurt other people and continue to exist when we should have just, of our own doing, ended our own lives. Not even intentionally. Just because of her own stupidity. This woman is in line with that. She should never have been a mother. Maybe at one point in her life, you know, something where she was in a place that was good and positive, that she could actually nurture a future generation. But that ship sailed. The second you start thinking that the only correct Answer to your children's future is for you to end it. Is the last step that we as a society need to know that you don't deserve to procreate, forced sterilization, period, before you kill them. And after you kill them, well, then we kill you. I I genuinely think that if you're going to have kids, you should go through courses. Plural. There's no manual. No, fuck all you want. Have sex all you want. Do your thing. I'm I'm not going to stop that. Please. Please. But why are we teaching abstinence when we could be teaching (laughs) safe sex? It just leads to more abortions and more adoptions and more failed parenting experiments. Because that's all it is. It's an experiment. Am I going to do a good job? hypothesis is that I'd like to think it but the reality is I'm probably not going to be very good at it let's just roll the dice and find out (laughs) that's how it is most of the time or it's it's a feeling thing I got pregnant and I got this little life inside of my belly I want to keep it Yes, I'm only 13 and I don't know shit about shit. And I think I'm more important than any other existing creature on the planet. But it's a feeling inside my belly. It's mine. It's going to be a little version of me. We're going to get matching outfits. No. No. You don't deserve to have your feelings respected. You don't deserve to be a parent. The chaos of life dictates that you can, and we've all seen where that goes. How that turns out. When are we just going to step in and be like, "Eh, uh, eh." well, let's stop this. This is ridiculous. We're we're just going to put an end to this. All you parents out there who do not have adult-aged children, you have to start taking courses. Let's call it an annual refresher on how not to be an asshole. (laughs) Because at best, That's all you need. (laughs) Just don't be an asshole as a parent. Encourage the kids to be their own selves and and to follow whatever interests them in a positive way. Don't squash them and make fun of them and hurt them. Just allow them to experience and process life. Be there to help them when they truly need it, not when you think they do, but when they ask for it. And other than that, just sort of get out of the way and make sure they have food and shelter they'll be okay. It's not an extensive course, but it's a bit of a reminder of sorts. All right. <laughs> what if your kids are really ugly? <laughs> oh man. That's actually really funny. Um because some people have to deal with that. Uh <laughs> Uh, for every for every human being I've run across, um, that uh, objectively is unattractive, there's something about them that can be found attractive. Whether it's a personality, whether it's a quirk, whether it's a trait, whether it's uh, an aspect to who they are as a person, maybe it's just what they do. Um, there's something attractive about it, and so I don't think physical appearance is enough <laughs> to be the deciding factor that they should die or not. <laughs> It reminds you of people saying you have to respect his opinion. No, I respect the right of his opinion, but the opinion might be really fucking idiotic. Here, here, Bill. I think you're a little behind on the stream, but yes, I agree. Um, some see. creations are atrocities. <laughs> $10 says it would have gone differently had it been uh, the mom asking for help with a psychotic father. We are really going to have to look at how we deal with fathers in custody in this country. I agree. I really agree. Um, not all men are the way men were in the 20s you know 1920s uh where they you know they 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 were very demanding women didn't have rights and so men treated them that way (laughs) we're not there as a culture some guys think we are but they're a minority the majority of guys actually who, who are in relationships actually care about the person to some degree that they're with uh for whatever reason and have as good or bad a chance as being positive parental role models as the mother, regardless of what's between their legs. It's a crazy thought, but I think it's a real one we should consider. Start with a car, a dog. Just makes you be like, sit down and shut up, Tracy. When I was, a, when I was uh, growing up, before I had kids, I always imagined, oh, they're kind of like dogs, right? You just sort of take care of them and you, you know, nurture them, make sure they're happy and stuff. No, no, it's much more involved. <laughs> My idiotic childhood mind thinking that was way off, way off. It is much more involved, much more rewarding as well. Um, but it's much more challenging and it takes a toll. It, it takes something from you as a human to raise other humans and not everyone is capable of giving that there's a price to be paid and if you're not willing to pay that price you should not be a parent it's that simple um all right so that being said let's dive into the second one i just i I, I wanted to talk about this article not for the tragedy of it because i I think it's fucking horrendous and it, it pulls out a lot of like crazy emotions in me when i read the story But because I like the what if. The his side versus her side versus society's perception of those sides. Could these children have been saved if it was the mother reacting, as Dog put it, um, to the father's psychosis? Probably. Is the guy's uh, opinion diminished simply because he's a guy? Probably. Probably. Is the mother always given the benefit of the doubt because she's a mother and they're supposed to have maternal instincts even though not all mothers do? Yeah, societally, yeah. They're given the benefit of the doubt. And these three children suffered for it. And that's the chaos of our universe. So you tell me life is fair. You tell me that everyone's equal. You tell me that everyone has the right to their feelings. What about these kids? They didn't choose to be born. They didn't choose the parents they had. They didn't choose the fucking crazy mother who murdered them. Alright. It's really fucking getting to me. God damn it. Let's talk about some other insane stuff. (laughs) The bioethics of the first human-monkey hybrid embryo. This is a bit of a long one, so I'm asking you to, uh, you know, strap in and and, and go on the ride with me. This is actually from Salon.com. Depending on your point of view, the creation of an embryo that is part human and part monkey is either a great opportunity for medical experts to create organs and tissues for human transplants, or the starting point of a horror movie (laughs) either way that premise is now a reality per a new study published in the scientific journal cell a team of scientists led by juan carlos ipsisua belmonte of california's salk institute for biological studies created the first embryo to contain both human cells and those of a non-human primate in this case those of long-tailed macaques 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 i don't know. I'm going to say macaque, I'm probably saying it wrong. Uh, the type of creation is known as a chimera, or an organism that contains genetic material from two or more individuals. Is Pizua Belmonte's team injected 25 human cells known as induced pluripotent stem cells, or IPS cells generally, and H-IPS cells, when they come from humans, into the embryos of long-tailed macaques, monkeys, Human cells were able to grow inside 132 of the embryos, and the scientists were able to study the results for up to 19 days. Many sources report that at the first human, (laughs) as the first human, uh, half human, half monkey embryo, although The Guardian claims that the same team actually developed one in 2019. Salon reached out to Ispisua Belmonte to clarify and will update the story if or when he responds. This Chimera experiment wasn't the product of mad scientists testing ethical limits. It had real scientific purpose and value. Indeed, with more research and a bit of luck, scientists could use the knowledge from these experiments to grow human organs in other animals. Quote, This knowledge will allow us to go back now and try to re-engineer those pathways that are successful for allowing appropriate development of human cells in these other animals, is Pazua Belmonte told NPR. The embryo in question is not the first chimera to be created by scientists. For instance, Belmonte and the Salk Institute were marginally effective in creating human pig chimeras in 2017, the same year that researchers in Portugal created a chimera virus. In their case, a mouse virus with a human viral gene. There are also chimeras that occur naturally, such as a twin who absorbs the uh, the other's DNA. American singer Taylor Mule says that a large section of skin on her torso is darker because it comes from her fraternal twin's genetic material. The potential advantage of creating human monkey chimeras is significant. It is often difficult for doctors to have enough organs to provide transplants to patients who desperately need them, and creating successful chimeras could allow scientists to manufacture organs rather than depending on donors. As Belmonte told NPR, this is one of the major problems in medicine, Organ transplantation, the demand that is much higher than the supply. Julian Coplin, a research fellow from the Biomedical Ethics Research Group, Murdoch Children's Research Institute and Melbourne Law School at the University of Melbourne, pointed out in an email to Salon that the bigger concern about chimeras is when they lead to live-born creatures. These were just an early embryonic stage, but if scientists are eventually able to develop human-pig chimeric animals for organ transplants, things could become ethically questionable. Quote, Most people think that humans have much greater moral status than, say, a pig, Copland explained. However, a human-pig chimera would straddle these categories. It's neither fully a pig nor fully human. How then should we treat this creature? Indeed, the chimeric embryo experiment already entered some ethical gray areas, as Copland noted. In many jurisdictions, human embryo research is subject to the 14 day rule, which limits research to the first 14 days of embryo development. These chimeric embryos were cultured some 19 days post fertilization. Should the study have stopped at 14 days? Arguably not, since only a small portion of their cells were human. But how many human cells? are too many. At what stage should a chimeric embryo be treated like a human embryo? Dr. Daniel Gary, a professor at the University of Minnesota, who has written extensively about the science and ethics of chimeras, broke down the issues with Salon by email. He noted that ethical concerns against the technologically, uh, technology include fears of human cells contributing to off t- uh, off-target organs such as the brain, although he added that he and his colleagues recently showed that his this contribution does not occur. Likewise, he feared the possibility that a human embryo could wind up being inadvertently developed in a large animal. Moreover, Gary said that with a chimera research in general, ethics issues abound regarding the human who contributes cells to such research. In the case of the monkey-human chimera embryo experiment, humans who contributed cells that were reprogrammed were aware and gave consent to have that happen. Gary added that there were also questions about whether some organs might be appropriate, but others not. For example, generating a pancreas or heart is okay, but having a monkey or a pig with human skin or human hair may not be okay for some reason. He also noted that there are usually ethical arguments that arise when there is a paradigm shift discovery from people who are that leery of scientific advances. At the same time, Gary says that there's a number of strong ethical arguments in favor of Chimera's. He points to how there are many terminal chronic diseases which do not have curative therapies and whose patients would benefit from the biotechnology created by Chimera research. It could reduce healthcare costs, increase the supply of transplant organs, and potentially reduce or eliminate the need for drugs to prevent an adverse immune system response. Copland said, such chimera studies could advance medical science. As I understand it, the aim of this study was to help improve techniques for creating human-animal chimeras, Copland explained. Chimeric animals could be used for disease modeling or to generate transplantable human organs. These advances could save lives, which is an important moral reason to pursue them. Henry T. Greenlee, a professor from the Center for Law and the Biosciences at Stanford University, who wrote about the ethical questions pertaining to chimeras in cell, told Salon that defining what counts as a chimera is tricky. Every time a person gets an organ transplant, the result is an intraspecies chimera. An organ uh, organism is made up of cells from two members of the same species, Greenlee noted. Another example is the way that some pregnant women end up permanently carrying cells from their fetuses. When a human gets a pig heart valve, she becomes an interspecies chimera. When a mouse gets human cells, for example, to test to see how committed they are to to a development path, whether or not they're uh, pluripotent, that's a chimera. He also noted that Scientists might put human brain tissues into a rat's brain to study the human cells in a way that would not be ethical to do in other people, since they eventually need to kill the test subject and study its brain slices. What makes the new monkey-human chimeras unique, Greenlee explained, is that they were manufactured by injecting human cells into an embryo at its blastocyst stage, or right before an out-of-body embryo could normally develop without being implanted into a uterus. That means that the human cells and the monkey cells are so early in their development that the human cells might end up in any body tissue, Greenlee noted. These types of chimeras are not difficult to create within these same species, but are harder to do the more two species diverge. Naturally, the researchers' ultimate goal is to develop technology that will allow them to create large quantities of human organs for transplantation. They tried the monkeys to see if the human cells would do better in this closer species answer, yes, and whether they could then learn how to make human cells thrive in pig or sheep embryos. Answer, way too soon to tell, Greeley pointed out. Wow. Uh, I I am so all over the fucking board with this one, if I'm being 100% honest. Uh, I do see the benefit. (laughs) Um. If, if they are uh, harvesting organs, if they're growing organs on the back, just for sake of argument, um, on the backs of other creatures, right? Like uh, we saw human ears being grown on rats, for example, in order for, to transplant them. If you don't have to lose the rat, like murder the rat in order to harvest the ear, I'm actually a little bit more okay with it than if you had to kill the rat in order to harvest the ear. Because then we're asking, is a single human ear more valuable than a single living creature? And I don't think it is. I don't think humans are any more valuable than any other creatures out there, except for me. I <laughs> I think I am the most valuable human, because I am the only one that I am, you know, in, in the flesh of. Like, the consciousness within. Like, I am... It, as a Satanist, right? But if I needed the ear, I still don't think it would be worth killing a rat to get a fucking ear. I don't think an ear is that important. If it's a organ, that's a whole different beast. And whether or not the organ was for me or for my child, well, then, fuck the rat. I want my kid to have an organ. Or fuck the pig or fuck the chimera. Not literally, figuratively. I don't want to get into that conversation. It's all relative, you know? Like, all of it. I'm imagining this weird dystopian future with human-monkey, human-pig, human-sheep hybrids rising up to declare their rights and the progressive left coming in to give them their rights and then they become voting populists, and they get to then further intermingle sexually with other humans and other human animal chimeras. And we get this weird hodgepodge of, well, I identify as a human pig, even though I was born a human rat. And so you must call me, um, it and they, (laughs) you know what I mean? I mean, in that context, we have totally lost our fucking minds as a species already, (laughs) already without all of that in the mix. So if we start accepting and understanding and agreeing where we are right now, let's extrapolate that progressively to other s- human-slash-species. Oof. Oof. This is a weird point in time that we are on the doorstep of a completely different universe that we never even considered, but is knocking at our front door demanding entry. Wow! <laughs> I long for the days where you just had to wait on a waiting list. <laughs> Sometimes you died and it sucked and people cried and sometimes you got it at the you know zero hour and you survived but now we're creating life in order to harvest it do we deserve that because we can do it should we at what point do we as a species just say we had our run it was pretty good <laughs> you know we don't have to continually prolong our lives. We've done pretty good with where we are. Let's just enjoy the hundred years we got. Think people would handle it better if we call it great ape monkey hybrid because we are apes. I think, yeah, I agree with you. Um, until they brought in the pigs and the sheep. Then I was like, ooh, that's a different beast altogether. <laughs> like, like, ancestrally, you know, as, as far as evolution is concerned, us Stepping away from apes compared to us stepping away from um, pigs and sheep. We're much closer cousins, (laughs) you know, to the the monkeys, but still. I don't know. I'm with you, Zach. Using animals is not going to be as advantageous as humans. Think long-term anyway. They've been growing human hearts and pigs for years. You think the issue is more about designing an organism to grow with three extra human hearts. That's an interesting point. We've already stepped through this door. Um, are we just being greedy now? <laughs> <laughs> I read somewhere that human embryos exposed to high radiation doses can develop missing entire organ systems to the central nervous system, and there's no ethical complaint. No consciousness. Ooh. Ooh. That's, that's heavy. If we remove consciousness from the creatures that we're creating in order to harvest them, is it less aggressive than if the person understood what they were doing? I mean, to them, certainly. To us, I don't think it's any difference. We're just taking away feeling, but it's still something that we created, you know? It's like having kids just so that you could take their liver because you are an alcoholic and you knew you are gonna die. <laughs> it's fucked up, but that's what we're doing. Intraspecies. Oof. I, have a, I, don't, I can't... There's something about it that really bothers me. And I understand the benefits. I do. I genuinely appreciate them. It still makes me feel ooky. ookie <laughs> <laughs> <Uky. laughs> Yeah. If we take this idea to logical extremes, we could effectively edit our genetics to become entirely new species capable of higher function throughout. Yeah. I mean, they... You know, the scientists already admitted we, we're, we already have chimeras amongst us. Humans with... Pig heart valves um, as one example. Uh, Twins who have absorbed the other or mothers who have absorbed cells from their children. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they exist already. So maybe it's not a big deal. It's just new to me. And I have to process. (laughs) Uh, It's weird, man. It's a weird conversation to have. Uh, I, I genuinely love that we as a species are at a point technologically to be able... To be having these conversations and to be finding ways of prolonging our species because ultimately that's the purpose of a species is to continue to exist and um, ensure its future as a a viable option on, you know, in this universe. And the lengths that we will go to ensure that future seem to be, well, seem to not have any limits. Right, so on the conscious level, I'm okay with it. But if I get a goddamn human-pig hybrid coming up and trying to sell me Girl Scout cookies, I'm gonna fr- I'm gonna buy the cookies. Don't get me wrong, but I'm gonna freak out after I close the door. That's just how that's how I was raised. You can call me interspeciesist if you want. <laughs> I'm gonna have a problem with it. Genetic and eugenics experiments should be carried out on the worst incarcerated criminals of society. Yeah, on the face of that, I I agree with that statement. Until, you know, they start running out of rapists and murderers and child abusers. And then they have to start going to lesser crimes like drug crimes and traffic violations. And, you know, not all criminals are made equal. You gotta have some sort of, like... Gataga's awesome. is awesome. That's one of my favorite sci-fi films. One of them. It's great. I'm just a big Ethan Hawke fan anyway. The first Purge was awesome. Um, great Expectations was awesome. <laughs> Explorers, another sci-fi flick from back in the day, was awesome. If you haven't seen it, you should check it out. Uh, okay. Well, anyway, that, that's enough of that. Let's get on to a little fun with Creature Features. I haven't watched The Expanse because it didn't look interesting but now I want to after you said that because I love that concept how human are we if we're not on terra firma if we were never born on terra on earth we don't know what it is can we still be human we're human simply because we evolved on this planet to this planet's environments and shifting you know climates and, and terrains absent that what are we But screw all that, because we're going to talk about Bubba Hotep. (laughs) If you don't know this film, you've been living a sheltered life, and I need to be the one to expose it to you (laughs) in all of its lumpy glory. There's some moments that are a little... (laughs) Um, Bubba Hotep. Here's the logline. Let me wet your appetite here. Elvis Presley and a black JFK stay in a nursing home where nothing happens. Until a wayward Egyptian mummy comes and sucks out old people's souls through their a-holes. That's right. <laughs> Two decide to fight back. That is the logline. Bruce Campbell is Elvis Presley. Ossie Davis is John F. Kennedy. The black John F. Kennedy. Ella Joyce is the nurse that has to do that thing with Elvis's wang. Uh, Heidi Man- Marnhout. Oh, I can't remember who she was. Sorry. Bob Ivy is Bubba Hotep himself, the, <laughs> the mummy who sucks out <laughs> souls of the elderly through their a-holes. This had a budget of $1 million and it brought in $1.2 million, and immediately became a box. Uh, I'm sorry, immediately became a cult hit. Now, they did a bit of a roadshow because, they're, again, this was a very small budget film. Uh, it was uh, uh, filmed, co-produced, and directed by Don Coscarelli of Phantasm fame, um, the whole Phantasm series. He got this script from the novella of the same name by Joe R. Lansdale, which originally appeared in the anthology The King is Dead, Tells of Elvis Postmortem. Took it Wrote a script about it, made this amazingly fun film about it, and got some great actors to play these wonderful roles. I'm a big Elvis fan, I'm a big Bruce Campbell fan, I'm a big horror fan. And so, you marry all of those together, and you've got a human, monkey, Bubba Hotep, Egyptian mummy, asshole sucking, fun film for the whole family. Actually, it's not really for the whole family, but there's a there's this film on the surface, is just kind of a ridiculous horror film, right? Alternate history-type horror film. But there's some underlying real, like emotional depth belying the entire storyline um, from Elvis's perspective. Okay, so uh, originally the film was roadshowed by the director across the country. Only 32 prints were made and circulated across various film festivals. It garnered critical success. By the time it was released on DVD, it was already achieving cult status due to the positive reviews, lack of access, and inclusion of Bruce Campbell. The novella and film revolve around the ancient mummy played by Bob Ivy, terrorizing a retirement home. Baba Hotep also deals with deeper themes of aging and growing old in a culture that only values the young. That is what I'm talking about. And that snippet is something that as I grow older, the, it becomes much more prescient to me, but also much more apparent. And I'm not like old or anything, but I guess I'm kind of old for some people. We value youth in our society and beauty. To the extreme, there's this really great scene where um, uh, Elvis' roommate dies and his daughter comes to collect his possessions, of rifle through everything. She's wearing this super short skirt and she bends over, showing, hi, uh, her, showing him her ass and panties and stuff. She doesn't care because he's a harmless old man who you know can't even get it up on his own accord. And so he is less important than a dog. To her. And that's what elderly people feel in life that no one cares about them. Why should they? They didn't care about them when they were the young ones. It's just this horrible state of the human experience that no one really likes to talk about. When you start, when you get to a certain age, you stop mattering in our society. And there are cultures out there who revere their elderly to some degree. But the more modernized those cultures become, the less true that statement rings. And the more focused they become on youth and beauty. And popularity too. Through social media. So where does that leave all of the other humans who have already done all that bullshit? And they're on the other side saying, look, we still have things to say. We still have things to contribute, but you're not even giving me the chance. The older I get, the closer I get to it, the more I appreciate and I'm kind of bummed out by it. Um, however, that's not the focus of the films. <laughs> the focus is on some really, you know, just typical B-horror movie wonderful scenes. Like, there's an entire scene of Elvis trying to capture this scarab that is attacking him. And it's, it's reminiscent of when, uh, Bruce Campbell, uh, was, um, uh, Ash in the evil dead and his hand becomes, uh, corrupted by evil and he has to fight his own hand as it's like bashing plates over his head and poking his eyes. And he has to eventually cut it off. Spoiler alert for evil Dead. It's amazing. And, uh, Bruce Campbell still's got it. So this came out in uh, 20, 2002. So it's it's old for modern standards, I suppose, if 2000s are old. But uh, it holds up. I literally watched this like two weekends ago, and it's still as good as the first time I ever watched it. Bruce Campbell is amazing as Elvis. And if you're an Elvis fan, it's an interesting alt-fiction. So um, the story is, is that Elvis was kind of tired of all of his fame. He'd done everything, and he just saw how he was declining. He wanted his memory to go on in a positive way, but he also wanted his freedom to go do whatever he wanted to do. He was tired of the sycophants that were surrounding him. And so he found Sebastian... Oh, is it Sebastian Shaw? Sebastian Half, who was the best Elvis impersonator he ever could find. He visited a whole bunch of them to find the best one. And he told Sebastian Half, look, I'm going to make you a deal. You become me, I'll become you. That way, I can enjoy being Elvis as if I was the impersonator, but I wouldn't have all the weight of actually being me. And you get all the fame and money and everything. But we'll write a contract. If at any time I want to be me again, you agree to it and we'll just switch places again and you just enjoyed your time being me for the time that you were me. You're already impersonating me, so this is a win-win. They both agreed. The downside to that is that while... Elvis was being Sebastian Half, living in a trailer park, barbecuing. He accidentally burned up his contract. (laughs) So he was kind of stuck as Sebastian Half. Fantastic. So he was stuck being the impersonator of who he actually was. And he grows old and he he has a, a, a falling accident and breaks his hip. He's getting older on stage. And he ends up in this nursing home. Um, He's got this cancerous, bulbous growth on his wiener that has to be taken care of by the nurse. And uh, it's this really great setup for... It's really sad, but then ends up kind of cool because as soon as this mummy comes in and starts terrorizing the old folks' home where he's living, his fighting back actually gives him a reason to exist again. And he gets it up again. (laughs) Which is just so great. I I love the idea. The older I get, you know, I'm not as... I'm not as virile as I used to be. (laughs) Sometimes it takes a little bit more work to get things going. If You know what I mean? I can appreciate the idea of uh, not feeling 100%. And then suddenly something happens and you're just like 110. And you truly appreciate being in that moment. You know? I don't know. Again, maybe it's because I'm getting a little older. <laughs> Whatever. Life experience. I dig it. Okay. Well, it gets better. The film itself is not the end, people. Um, Actually, the crew who worked on the film uh, was also the crew who worked on the Phant- Phantasm series as well, not just the director. Uh, the credits close with the message, Elvis returns in Bubba Nosferatu, Curse of the She-Vampires, starring Sebastian Half. So that was a joke originally. There was never supposed to be a sequel until everyone started freaking out about there being a sequel and it was received so well by the followers in the fandom. Then um, uh, Coscarelli was like, okay, well maybe we'll do a sequel. They put together a treatment and everything. Bruce Campbell ended up bowing out because he didn't uh, like the direction that they were taking it or they just had different disagreements, but he wanted to maintain the friendship, so he's like, look, Go with someone else. I'm moving on. They actually reached out to... Um, oh, what was the guy's name? I didn't put it in my notes. He did... Uh, he was in Sons of Anarchy. He did um, Hellboy originally. Oh, I can't believe I can't remember his name. Anyway, he was going to take the role of Elvis or Sebastian Half and be in the sequel. Um, but it just never really happened. So, uh, as they said it, Initially, Coscarelli never intended to create a sequel to Bubba Hotep, as the end credits announced the second film entitled Bubba Nosferatu. He eventually changed his mind after this and seeing the positive reception, and inquired what the sequel would be uh, when the re- when it would be released. The sequel would center around the production of a lost Elvis movie from the 50s or 60s, and would bring in Paul Giamatti as Colonel Tom Parker. How great would have that been? So it would have been a young, beautiful Elvis fighting vampires. She-vampires. she, uh, she vampires. Come on! I want to see this film! <laughs> Let's make this happen, people. In 2018, IDW Publishing released a five-issue limited series adaptation of the novella retitled Bubba Hotep and the Cosmic Bloodsuckers, which ended up being the sequel that was written but never produced. The series was supervised by Lansdale, written by Josh Jabkuga, and illustrated by Tad Galusha. In 2019, Dynamite Entertainment published a four-issue crossover miniseries, Army of Darkness slash Bubba Hotep, which followed on from the original story and saw Elvis team up with Bruce Campbell's iconic character, Ash Williams. It's all in-universe, man. (laughs) If you love this stuff, it's all there. So I'm going to have to now pick up this damn novella, this graphic novel because they're never gonna make the film, which is a travesty, because they're making another Evil Dead. I, I wanna see another Bubba Hotep or, or whatever. Ron Perlman, thank you so much, dog. Um, uh, yes, John, Ron Perlman. Okay, so this is a fun, 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 fun film. If you love Elvis, it's awesome. If you love mummies, it's awesome. If you love watching old people kick undead ass, it's awesome. If you just love Bruce Campbell it's awesome there is no world that exists that this is not an enjoyable watch so do yourself a favor uh, I, uh, IMDB gives it a 7 out of 10 it is 79% certified fresh with a 79% audience score in Rotten Tomatoes I think that is a travesty because I think it's better than that but it's still worth a watch check it out that's all I got That's all I got for you guys today. Holy shit. An hour and a half. With a (laughs) pre-show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and allowing me to nerd out and freak out and scream and be be my stupid self. I really do appreciate it. I don't expect you to tune in, but I certainly appreciate it when and if you do. So, if you want to learn more about Satanism or the Church of Satan, check out churchofsatan.com. Read the Satanic Bible. If you want to support this show, subscribe to the YouTube channel, like, and share the video. And you can always sign up to the email list, which is in the description below. And I'll alert you whenever I'm going to have a new show, what it's going to be about, etc. On a personal note, let me just say this. All right, hold on. I just saw this and I approved the comment and I probably should have read it first. Drac, stand by your local Antifa, they stand for you. Fuck Antifa. I'm just going to put it out there. No, I don't support Antifa. I don't support any organization or group. I support me. If they happen to align with me in a certain area at a certain time, okay, I'll be positive. But until then, I don't think so, Tim. (laughs) Fuck them. Now, does me saying fuck Antifa mean I'm pro-fascist? I don't think so. And I don't care if you do. I don't care. Uh, I can walk and chew gum at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Hail Satan, everyone. Have a great week. I'll see you next time.